You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. Eoch Tanuyap. Kwege Iwans Kwiensna. Hi, everybody. My name is Kwege Iwans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yogalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. This episode is about events that are coming up really soon this week. Really exciting. Before we talk about these amazing events, let's put on our theme song, Possibilities by Key Sarah. The song you just heard is Possibilities by Key 
Sarah. He, Sarah, is a mother-daughter duo from Ontario, and the daughter who is singing is on the autism spectrum. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. There are many events that are coming up this week. The first event is the APN Conference, which is happening March 1st and 2nd in Richmond at the River Rock Casino. And the conference is talking about how mainstream management and organizations can help with accessibility and solutions for accessibility in the built environment from the advocates and the self-advocates. My first guest today is Brad McCall, who is organizing this event and bringing people to talk about accessibility in the built environment. Thank you so much, Brad, for being on my show. Oh, what a pleasure. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Off the bat, why is this conference so important to have and talk about accessibility in the built environment? Well, it was really important to us to make sure that industry and the the people doing the work in the built environment are brought to the table when we discuss accessibility. In the past, it's really been the community at large getting together and and forcing change and building codes and forcing change and enforcement. And all of that, of course, is critically important. But up till now, industry has not been brought to the table to bring them into the loop. Instead of creating more regulations and having them view us as, as a problem, what we like to do is show them the return on investment, show them the opportunity that universal design brings to the uh, table, and have an opportunity to just help them understand why we need to do this and, and who it affects. Almost like a partnership and allyship versus us versus them. Very much so. And and, and, and don't get me wrong, we, I, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't be a member of the board of the Accessible Standards Canada if I didn't believe in strong codes and strong uh, enforcement. But I just think that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is the cultural shift we need to make. You know, the answer isn't to create a whole bunch more access professionals. We've got a number of them right now and and very good. I used to be one myself. But what we needed to do is change the existing culture. We needed to get to the existing architects and planners and building inspectors and tradespeople, the people who swing the hammer. The built environment became really important to us, not to say that the other pillars of accessibility aren't important, you know, employment and transportation and and, uh, uh, emergency egress, all those other really important key communications is another one. Communications with is separate from the websites, but communications on the internet is another important pillar. But we focused on the built environment because we felt that none of the other pillars of disability could thrive without an accessible built environment with real meaningful access, not code minimum access, but real meaningful access for people with disabilities. And if, if you could achieve that in the built environment, it would affect all the other ones. You know. Now, accessible transportation becomes less urgent if there's no accessible destinations. And the best employment equity program in the world won't work if I can't get in the building. So our, our focus at the Rick Hansen Foundation was to bridge that gap between building code 
and the real needs of the community. And that was the best way to do that was to bring industry to the table and, and make them part of the solution instead of sitting on the sidelines. To go to the basics almost of accessible built environment and universal design, and then many other things like communication, transportation fall into place. And it's more than just minimums, it's building those relationships as well. Oh, and yeah, really, really important. Especially with, you know, some of the major players, you know, people who control literally millions of square feet of, of office and retail space. You know, and you mentioned getting back to basics. One of the things that alarmed me when I started, started this program seven years ago was the realization that nothing about universal design, nothing about accessibility is taught in architecture school. So they have, they don't even have the basics. And that's why it was so important for us to develop the Rick Hansen Foundation Accessibility Certification Program. Because having this disability lens that can lay over any project, no matter what code you're working under, what standard you're working on, the RHFAC identifies what's there, who it affects. Not the code police, not coming in there wagging your fingers saying you should have done this, you should have done that. We're recognizing what's good too. One of the really unique features of the RHFAC is that it it recognizes the good things as well as the bad. So you get innovation points when you do things right. And again, trying to bring in, engage industry, trying to bring them to the table, get them to understand these things. But it's our training that's the key to changing the culture, to shift that culture. And, and I, 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 the three, there's three critical elements to creating meaningful access in the built environment. And the first one is to understand who people with disabilities actually are. You know, the code treats it like, there's only, the only people with disabilities are a few wheelchair guys. It's really code-centric. They don't, it doesn't really address, and, and codes are getting better all the time. And, and then you know, with the Accessible Canada Act, there's more pressure to get more standards out there. But currently, what, what's really happening right now is that this code minimum access strategy is holding everybody back because it's really wheelchair-centric. And it might seem odd coming from a wheelchair guy, but, oh, goodness gracious, those wheelchair guys. We've dominated the discussion since day one. We've dominated the codes. We've dominated the regulations. If you ask somebody on the street about disability, the first thing that pops into their head is a wheelchair. The international symbol for people with disabilities is a wheelchair, and yet wheelchair users represent somewhere south of 30% of the community. So if you're building, you're using a code minimal access strategy, if you're relying on code, you're actually missing 70% of our community and 70% the return on investment. So it's critical you know who you're designing for. The second element is moving this accessible design up the management food chain. Understanding that you know, access is not a design decision. Architects will build whatever you tell them to build. So the owners have to want it first. And in order to do that, they have to understand the issues earlier. Right now, what happens is they design a building, they get it permitted, they pour concrete. And then they phone me and say, can we make it accessible? No, I can't. <laughs> I can do bolt-on access. I can put a power door on or maybe a hearing loop in the reception desk, but I can't affect the core design. I can't bring that, that site into the real meaning, world of meaningful access. And when we say meaningful access, we're talking about the whole experience of the user from the moment they get out, get out of their car or off the bus or walk into the side rack, go into the building. It's not just, can they go to the washroom? It's, can, can they you know, interact with the building? Can they use, can they go to the reception desk? Can they, could they work there? So it's the whole 
experience of the user in the building. So understanding who people with disabilities are first, moving in up the design food chain second, and the third element, which brings us to the APM conference, is to professionalize the delivery of accessible design. We needed to have accredited professionals in the field that the industry could rely on to make the changes they need to make. Right now, it's, we've put the advocates in a completely unfair position. We've asked them to identify the barriers and identify the issues, which of course is quite correct. But when they take the next step and start trying to solve those problems, that's where we get into trouble. And just by way of an example, a developer will come into the mayor's office and say, I want to build this condominium development. And he'll say, fine, can you run it by my, my seniors committee and run it by my committee on people with disabilities? Well, sure. They throw the plans on the table and everybody gets around and they say, well, you know what? You need a ramp right there. And all of a sudden the people around the room start designing a ramp. The problem is to be on the committee, your qualifications are that you have lived experience and that's right and that's good but you've got no experience in the built environment. So anything you offer for solution from a solution perspective is gonna be, you know, at best hearsay, something you found on the internet, something they heard somebody else did. And the problem that creates is the architect now will look and say, well, if I build that ramp the way they suggested and somebody falls on it, who's gonna get sued? Well, not the, not the, uh, not the advocates, it's gonna be the architect. So the architect reacts by saying, okay, I'm going to go back to code because I'm safe in code. Well, we already know code's not enough. So having accredited professionals in the field is the key to this whole thing. And, and, and so this conference coming up and, and, and full credit to the Royal Bank of Canada as our, our primary sponsor on the project, full credit to the, Bank, the Royal Bank of Canada enabling us to bring this group together, to have access professionals in the field as well as people with vested interest in the, in the whole topic of accessibility from operators to commercial real estate developers to the people on the street and the professionals in the field to bring them together, to have this discussion, to, to create that meaningful access via accredited professionals. That's the key to making everything work in the whole built environment. It's to have the expertise of the professionals work with the advocates because the advocates understand the lived experience but they don't have the expertise so it's and, and the theme of the conference this year is building together and that's because none of us can do this alone you know it, for the last 30 years the advocates have been trying to do it on their own and they've done great work but we're still not there similarly you know Professionals working in the field can't do it on our own. We need the advocates to direct us. And so this, it, it goes further. Without government help, you know, and not necessarily funding, but, but more government buy-in to the concept. You know, the other key element of professionalizing the delivery of accessible design, the RHFAC provides common language and common methodology based in standardized training across the country. That means the results are measurable. Right now, everybody's doing their own thing. Different codes, different standards. So you, you, they're not measurable, they're not comparable to each other because who knows what definitions they're using. You know, the next time someone says to you, I want my building to be accessible, the first words out of your mouth have to be accessible to who? Wheelchair users? People who are deaf? People who are blind? 
you want it accessible to everyone? Okay, that's a bigger task, but you, you as a designer, you as an operator need to understand exactly what you're asking for. Part of that is common language, hard common methodology to make it measurable, to make it comparable. So now we have usable data as a community that we can use to you know, create more access, to create, you know, to challenge this idea that people with disabilities are somehow non-market. I'll never understand that. You know, the World Health Organization says there's 1.3 billion people with disabilities in the world. That's a larger market than China. Somehow we're still considered non-market. But, you know, the, it, it, it just drives me absolutely bonkers in the housing, especially in the housing market, because often what you'll find is a, a new development will come in and 10% of it was set aside as accessible, whatever that means. Well, the problem with that is, especially in strata units where people own the properties, there's no control over that. There's no way of keeping them as accessible suites. And what's been happening is because the original developer will declare them non-market and set them aside, he now has to make his profit on 90% of the building instead of 100%. So that artificially increases the cost of housing. Well, sure, it's us. As yeah. people with disabilities. Well, and the re and we, the thing we know at, at Rick Hansen Foundation, we we commissioned a study from HCMA Architecture, and asked them how much does it cost to create meaningful access, and, and we use the example of retail and commercial space. So if we just setting else aside for the moment, what would it cost to bring, you know, a brand new facility, just you know, not retrofitting. Retrofitting is more expensive, but starting from scratch, a new building. What would it cost to bring it all the way up to Rick Hansen Gold, our highest rating in our program? And well, the, the, the HCME architecture study revealed that to get to our minimum level, our past level, our 60%, it costs nothing. And to go all the way to gold with all the bells and whistles, maybe 1%, so less than the carrying costs, you know, the money you got set aside to build this place. So it, clearly it's not a financial problem. It's an attitude. It's an attitudinal problem, not financial. So educating, the key is to educate. And that's what we've been doing using the Rick Hansen Foundation Accessibility Certification Program, the RHFAC, and, and the training that goes with it. Our goal is to shift that culture through education. And the great advantage we have is once people start recognizing barriers to people with disabilities, they never stop. You only have to train them once. And it's a, it's a really great thing. And, and what we're finding now is we're starting to get real traction. And that cultural shift we're looking for just through education is starting to happen because by using the Rick Hansen system, using common language and common methodology, the industry can compare notes and trade information. The transfer of knowledge is significant now because everybody's using the same language and same understanding of what we're trying to achieve her. It's the education, the attitudes, the whole gamut. With that, don't go anywhere because there will be more on the self-advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. Did you know that Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM has over 90 different shows produced by over 350 community members? This wide range of programming produced by our diverse group of programmers ensures that we have a show you'll love. We have shows on feminism, spirituality, disability rights, politics, unions, and parenting. We play jazz, indie rock, 
reggae, blues, and folk. We broadcast in a dozen different languages and have more First Nations programs than any other radio station in Vancouver. Find your show on Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. All different, all the time. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. Right now, I am talking with Brad McCall, who works for the Rick Hansen Foundation and is organizing and coordinating the APN conference, which is happening March 1st and 2nd in Richmond at the River Rock Casino. Changing the tables a little, for people who are the experts in architecture and landscaping and who are in government, who want to know more about disability and disability standards, what's one piece of advice you would give to them to know more and help create a better accessible built environment well you know you don't know what you don't know <laughs> and so the first step if for anyone who has any interest in universal design and the practical application of it in the built environment attending this conference this is you know it's a ticketed conference uh it's both live and virtual but this is the group you want to expose yourself to. This is, these are the people who really understand it, and these are the people who will bring forward the new the new issues as we go. You know, access is a moving target. The more access you create, the more access you need, because that's the nature of inclusion. When you start including people, they show up. But if if you have an interest in this piece in the universal design and the practical application, and maybe it's your business, maybe it's you know, even from a community perspective, the first step is is to educate yourself. And, and the best place to do that would be the APN conference brought to you by the Bank of Canada, Royal Bank of Canada. But the, uh, the next step beyond that would be training. So, uh, you know, our, our RHFAC is one, if you're an industry professional, there's prerequisites to take that course. You need to be an industry professional. But if you're in the industry and, and have that interest, the RHFAC course, it's delivered either online or at the various post-secondary secondary schools across the country. So you can do it live or online if you like, but take the training. But if you're not an industry professional and what you're looking for is just a, a good solid base in universal design and who people with disabilities are and why we go through all these hoops to make this work, we have a course called Accessibility Accessible Spaces 101. And again, it's available online for people if they'd like to just take the course and, and get up to speed on what's going on here. There's some really cool solutions coming down the pipe. And as we bring industry into the discussion, some of those solutions are becoming really commonplace and, and, and put into the normal design and, and operating process rather than something outside of that that we add after. So again, back to that cultural shift, the way to start is to attend the conference. Get all the information you can. As they say, uh, past that, it's it, it's more education. It's taking the RHFAC. It's taking the other courses. 
Maybe uh, you could organize a disability awareness training course for your office. You know, language and etiquette. One of the one of the keys to working with people with disabilities is understanding the language and etiquette of our community and and understanding how it's why it's so important to us for people first language to refer to us as people with disabilities as opposed to disabled people. I know some people prefer to go with the disabled title. That's their option. But in terms of able-bodied people or people addressing us for the first time, or most of the people that we're drawing into the conference right now don't have a lot of direct experience with people with lived experience. And, and the thing you have to understand, you know, you've heard the motto, nothing about us without us, right? Or, or as the minister likes to shorten it, she likes to call it just nothing, uh, nothing without us. That doesn't mean go ask a wheelchair user. That doesn't mean stop a blind person on the street and see what they think. It doesn't even mean put together a voluntary, uh, vol yeah. put together a committee of volunteers so that able-bodied people can transpone the notes and try to make it into policy. Nothing about us without us means putting people with disabilities in decision-making positions. You know, and then the holy grail of our community is employment. If we, you know, the Carbon Sport of Canada says that 57% of our community is un either underemployed or unemployed. 57%. They figured it out. The numbers on that are it costs the economy $16.8 billion to have that level of unemployment in our community. And it's such an easy fix. That's our point. Most of the you know, adaptations you require in a, in a commercial or retail space. Most of that is low-hanging fruit. Most of that's really cheap and easy to fix. You know, putting a, a hearing loop on a reception desk or on your meeting rooms to benefit people with, with uh, hearing aids. Using high contrast and color, improving your wayfinding system to reduce anxiety and, and to get people where they're going quickly without that stress. That helps everyone, but it's particularly strong in the neurodiverse community. It's particularly helpful with people with low vision. All of this stuff, it doesn't help one person, it helps everyone. That's the great power of the practical application of universal design. But you, you have to know about it first. So start at the basics, come to our conference. Come to the conference, get educated and employ people with disabilities. Well, that's the, you know, I get asked often, what's the best way that we can you know, improve access to our, our office or our facility. Well, the very best way is to stop fretting about it and just hire somebody because something magic happens then because now instead of worrying about codes and regulations, you're thinking about Brad. You hired Brad, so you learn not to leave boxes in the aisle because it makes it too hard for the wheelchair to get down the, you know, through the office. Or if you hire a person with vision loss, you learn not to leave the bottom drawer of the filing cabinet open because they're going to trip over it, right? You learn... Real meaningful access comes from that real meaningful experience and that lived experience. And the other thing is, from an employer perspective, this idea that you, you don't know it, but you already have a lot of people with disabilities already on staff, but they're not self-identifying, especially people with hearing loss. You know, the most common disability of all, maybe, we don't know for sure, because most people don't report having hearing loss. You know, the old line, I can hear fine if you'd stop mumbling, those guys. <laughs> you know, the problem is if you're in a, in a, in a work situation, you're not going to self-identify as being hard of hearing because the fear is that it'll hold you back in your career. And it might. 
Well, there's lots of good reasons to not report having that significant disability. The other thing as a community we have to recognize is what's really pushing the numbers right now are the older adults and seniors. And the thing about that group is not only do they have a disability, they have multiple disabilities. Hearing loss combined with mobility and cognitive or any, you know, vision loss combined with or any combination you can think of. So they have multiple disabilities. And the second thing is they're in complete denial. My eyes are fine. My arms are long enough. I can hear fine if you stop mumbling. That group of people, like my mom, my darling mother, I, I, she's not with us now, but when she was 85, she used a walker, couldn't go more than 50 feet without sitting down. Hearing was terrible. And her vision was actually worse. But she felt sorry for me because I had a disability. She said, well, I'm not disabled. I'm just getting old. We, we, my brothers and I, we tried to put a crab bar in our shower. Absolutely not. Mom, why? She said, well, what if somebody sees it? They'll think I'm disabled. Well, that begs two questions. Number one, mom, who are you showering with? And number two, really, you jeopardize your personal safety over the way something looks? And the answer is an unqualified yes. Mom won't use a handicapped cab. He thinks they're great for me. But she sees that little blue stick man on the door. And she said, ah, that's not for me. I'm not disabled. I'm just getting old. So from a back to the professional side of this thing, if you're operating any kind of business, if you're operating, you know, the, your, the aging population is, also means your workforce is aging. So if you're going to retain those people, then your site has to be accessible. And it has to be accessible without that little blue sticker everywhere. It has to be, it has to look good, it has to work well, and, 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 and it has to be part of the normal design process, not something you add after the fact. That's why we had to professionalize it. That's why the APN conference is so critical, bringing these people to the table and, and, and inviting the community, to, uh, you know, the advocates or, or just people with lived experience, inviting them to come in, hear this discussion, understand, you know, we hear all the time, well, oh, this architect's terrible, you know, the access to the building's horrible, he must be the architect. Probably not, probably the owner, probably no mandate to go beyond code. There's this crazy idea that meeting code means you're accessible. All meeting code means is you're not going to get sued. That's all it means. You're just doing the very, you're just putting your hand up, so I'm going to do the very least I can possibly do if you've got a code minimum access strategy. To you know? normalize disability almost and, and not highlight it. It's just part of the... It, the... You know, in the new millennium, it's normal to have a disability. That's just fact. Over 50, yeah, we did an Angus Reid poll and disability touches over 50% of the Canadian population today. And so as an operator, as a business operator, you know, and it's one of the core messages at the APN, as a, as a business operator, you can't afford to say no to 50% of the population, especially when creating access is not onerous. It's not difficult. Once you know, the most common comment I get from architects and planners in the business is they look at me, they take the course and they go, that's it? That's all you gotta do? Yeah, that's all you gotta do. You gotta learn to ask a question. Whenever you're doing any kind of management scheme, project, new building, new project, first thing out of your mouth has to be, how will this affect people with disabilities? It might not, who knows? But did you ask the question? And if you ask the question, what does that mean? 
it doesn't mean is accessible to wheelchair users. There's all kinds of difficulties. You know, sometimes what works for one group doesn't work for another. You know, we at Vancouver International Airport, we had a glass and tile building. It was just loud and echoey, and, and people were hard of hearing, had a really hard time. So we carpeted the floors, and that cut the noise level down by almost 30%. So it was great for people hard of hearing. But we heard from wheelchair users saying, no, it's too hard to push on. So you get conflicts within disability groups. So did I remove a barrier for people hard of hearing, or did I create a barrier for people who are using wheeled mobility devices? So that's why we have to professionalize it. That's why these things have to be examined with a, an eye to the occupancy and the actual use of the building. Who's going to be there? And that's why there, there's no one-size-fits-all answer. It's not as simple as people look. And that's why I would really encourage people to attend. So you start to see some of the issues from the other side and build that consensus. And that's how we move this whole thing forward. If we do this right, we won't be even talking about disability in 10 years. It'll all be about older adults and seniors and kids. If you make it safe for that two, those two groups, everything else will work itself out. Everything will work itself out. How can the listener find this conference and find you, Brad, and find the Rick Hansen Foundation and their standards for the built environment? The best place to go is rickhansen.com. You'll see uh, our whole foundation's efforts there, including our school programs. Uh, but you'll find the APN conference, a link to it there. And, and we didn't talk much about the speakers and the people who are being involved in this thing, but this is extremely high level. I'm really pleased to see in the opening session, which I'm, I'm proud to be the host for, uh, we have uh, Michael Gothiel, the Accessibility Commissioner for the Canadian Human Rights Commission, and Stephanie Cardew, the brand new Chief Accessibility Officer for Canada. So what's happened is the Access Accessible Canada Act is really motivating a lot of change right now. And having these two people, these two people in particular, that are kind of the, the linchpin for access nationally, especially Stephanie Cardew, the Chief Accessibility Officer. This is a huge opportunity to find out really firsthand what their plans are. What are they, how are they gonna treat this thing? You know, how, how, the goal is an accessible Canada by 2040. That's a really lofty goal. That'll be really hard to meet. So let's find out how they want plan on doing it. The only way to do that is to attend the conference. And actually meet the people. Meet and mingle and understand the issues. And, and one of the reasons, and we get this reaction all the time from industry and architects and planners who come to the table, it's the first chance they've ever had to interact with people with lived experience. They're just not exposed to them. And so, you know, we have architects who take our course. Often there's people with disabilities as part of the course. They say the best part of love it was actually working with people with disabilities, seeing firsthand, understanding why the grab bar has to be where it is. And it can't be plus or minus. You know, it has to be where it is for a very distinct and exact purpose. You know, why, understanding the handrails on staircases, they're not just for support. They're also wayfinding and how people with vision loss completely rely on the handrail to give them direction of where they are. What, are they on a landing or are they on a public thoroughfare? If you follow the handrail and it's done properly, it'll lead you safely out of the path of travel. If they're not installed correctly, it leads you right into danger. And having that experience, the professionals in the field go, oh my goodness, I had no idea it was used that way. And so one of the things I tell all my people and everybody that we work with is to challenge your assumptions. 
whatever you're assuming, you're probably wrong. Like if you're assuming it's, if you're assuming the market for your building is 18 to 55 year old males, which is the design model everybody uses right now, that's insane. Number one, they're the ones that can adapt to anything else anyway, but they're in a minority. Big, you're not even designing for women. It's insane. So expose yourself to the other side of the world and, and expose yourself to the issues and create an opportunity to have that interaction, to get your voice heard by the people doing the work. That's exactly it. To attend, to assume nothing and challenge your assumptions. Exactly right, Allison. It's exactly right. Thank you so much, Brad, for talking with me today. Oh, it's a real pleasure. So the, the conference is the first and second of March coming up. Um, and again, again, I want to give a little plug to the Royal Bank of Canada because without their support, this couldn't happen. But bringing this group of people together and making us everybody available to the to the the giant soup we're cooking here. We're going to see what flows to the top. And that's how change happens. That's how change happens. Don't go anywhere because there will be more on The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. Vancouver Cooperative Radio is an innovative, nonprofit community radio station with a mission to produce creative and engaging programming for communities whose voices are underrepresented in the mainstream media. We need your financial support to help us achieve this mission. By donating today, you will help us to continue to provide training and access to equipment for over 300 volunteers who produce 140 hours of original programming in over 10 languages. Our radio station is located in the heart of the downtown east side, and since 1975, we have celebrated the rich cultural diversity of the greater Vancouver area through our arts, music, and spoken word programming. Please support alternative community-based radio. Donate today by visiting coopradio.org forward slash donate or calling 604-684-8494. That's 604-684-8494. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with Alison Klein. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alison Mira. The next event that's happening really soon on Saturday, March 4th in Surrey is the BC People First Conference. I'm attending. I hope everybody else can make it out as well. And the person I'm going to talk with is Michael, who is the former past president of BC People First and is helping organize this event, this conference. Thank you so much, Michael, for being on my show. No problem. Off the bat, why this conference and why is BC People First making a conference? So they have hosted one every year. And this year, though, it is co-hosted between BC People First and BC Self-Advocate Leadership Network Society. And I know that this gets connection. It also is important 
to have these conferences for education purposes, understanding of the movement. We are sold out in person and we have two workshops online um, this year. Educating people about this is very important and about the self-advocate and self-advocacy movement. Exactly, in the community live in the, within our sector of the community living movement and the people first movement, etc. And that's exciting that it sold out. The in-person conference is sold out already. Yeah. That's amazing. How did you get involved with BC People First? Years ago, I got involved, started on the board, and then at one point became president. And then for this conference, BCPF is part of our organization called BC Self-Advocate Leadership Network Society, and we have co-hosted this conference with them this year. That is very important. What have been some of the neat things and positive things that you've seen since joining BC People First and organizing this? There's been... Um, over the years, there's been a lot of neat things, but I think with this conference... Um, just seeing a sellout is going to be really neat with it being the first year just after the pandemic. Being it after the pandemic is really important as well. What have been some of the more tough things organizing this conference? Um, you see, I haven't been doing a lot. We've been just mostly co-sponsoring a lot of things. So if, it, but the toughest parts, I think when you come down to it is trying to get the marketing out there to get the people to join and people to know about it. And it's one of the toughest spots I don't, for any organization. Marketing. Is marketing. Yeah, I found it difficult to market and promote my own show as well. I think that's one of the toughest things ever, isn't it? Yes. And getting the word out. What's one of the things that you like the most about being a self-advocate? One thing I love is getting to lead um, organizations, groups etc. That type of stuff. Um, getting to just advocate for what I believe in or try and change things when it comes down to system advocacy as well as just advocacy. To lead in advocacy and self-advocacy. Mm, yeah. And being that there's system as well, trying to change the system 
is very difficult, as we all know, but there's system advocacy and then there's the, you know, advocacy overall and trying to make it work. It's hard to change the system advocacy. And when it does change, it's quite amazing to see that. Absolutely. And that's one of my favorite things to see is that change, not just for me, but for the future people, right? Exactly. With that, don't go anywhere because there will be more on the self advocate on CFRO Co op radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. Howdy, folks. Tune in every Sunday afternoon from 4 to 5.30 for What the Folk, singer-songwriters, deep folk, roots music. It's all folk music. Sundays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. right here on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM and www.coopradio.org. Join me, Derek White Sky Cloud. I am your host every Wednesday night from 5 to 6 p.m. for Métis Matters Radio, where we discuss why Métis matters and the worldwide matters of Métis people. From the past to the present, every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. So right now I'm talking with Michael, who is the past president of BC People First. BC People First is having a conference this year in Surrey on March 4th. It is a sold out show, which is amazing. I will be attending. And there will be online workshops as well. As a self-advocate, Michael, what have been some of the more tough things to deal with? So I guess the question would come down to, depending on what are we talking in tough and why is it tough provincially or is it tough federally? And if we get down to it provincially is definitely um, the um, learning how to advocate for something like what we just have gotten the provincial accessibility law and now we have it and that is big the tough things to advocate for is different it could be the disability for the um what's it called i'm thinking of it but it my brain isn't comprehending it because it's the money thing that they're trying to do oh the disability tax benefit no, not tax credit, but the disability benefit for where they're going to add the money. 
so but the other thing is living in poverty and that's a tough one too and people so advocating to get people out of poverty would always be one of the best things we could do getting people out of poverty that's huge and not having to live in poverty Mm -hmm. for a person with a disability who wants to become a self-advocate what's one piece of advice you would give to them start off by having a mentor learn early get a mentor who is a veteran in the advocacy field who would be able to show you the ropes in joining your first self-advocate group. Mentoring is so important because you will grow some a lot sooner and learn a lot. And having that mentor is a big piece. Having a mentor and getting a mentor and learning the ropes from the mentor. Absolutely. For the future, what do you hope for the future for self-advocates and learning from self-advocates? What do I hope for the future from self-advocates and learning from self-advocates? Um, what I hope for is to grow the advocacy field as much as we can so that it makes it have the succession of people who can learn and want to learn and want to move forward in their leadership skills. So that's what I hope for. What do I want to learn? Or what do we want to learn from self-advocates is their history. I want self-advocates to learn from the people that are up in that have lived the life of being in, say, like for myself, learning how the institutions worked. I had to learn all that from a younger side, hearing from the people that have lived there. Then from now I'm trying to teach that to the younger group what that all was like so the history of advocacy is so important for people to learn so they know where we came from to where we are today to learn and to grow as a as a group and to learn from the the old older people the elders exactly what are you most excited for for this conference? I'm just excited to see how it goes. Um, being that I'm the MC, I'm just excited to see how each workshop goes, what the turnout of the people are, and grow some great leadership. I didn't know you were the MC. That'd be so exciting. 
I'm, I'm the co-MC. There's two of us MCing, so that will be fun. That'll be so much fun seeing you co-MC with another person. How can the listener find BC people first and find you, Michael? So you can find me on Facebook and um, BCPF. There is a Facebook page for BC people first and there is I only know about their Facebook page. I don't know what other spots Roxy has BCPF right now. So go check BC People First on Facebook. And from there, the listener can find the yeah. BC People First website. I, yeah, there would also be a BC People First website. So BC People First website and the BC People First Facebook page. And that's where you definitely will find BC people first. And they can find you, Michael, on Facebook as well. Yes. Thank you so much, Michael, for talking with me today. No problem. Another event that is happening right now is the Jewish Community Center Inclusion Services 5th Annual Exhibition in celebration of Jewish Disability Awareness and Inclusion Month. The Jewish Disability Awareness and Inclusion Month is February, but this exhibition runs until March 25th. They are having a community longing and belonging reception on Thursday, March 9th at the Zach Gallery at the JCC at the Jewish Community Center. The artists will be in attendance. This has been the self-advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You could find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. If you missed any part of this show or want to listen to it again, you can find it on anchor.fm or wherever you find your podcasts. To end out this show, let's put on our theme song, Better Miracle by Kiprios. Kiprios is a Vancouver-based rapper. Even though he doesn't have a disability, the song, Better Miracle, talks about having a better tomorrow, but not a miracle. Enjoy more programming, everyone. My window, the sun came through today. Was a day I thought I'd look to my window, felt the pain that I knew. The sun heard about it when he came to, came through. Good looking out, I needed you today. Was a day that didn't need rain. My window looked to me to make a change. The sun rising to the occasion came through. Good looking out, I needed you. Oh, oh. I know.
convince myself I'm gonna be okay. Remember, back then I've come a long way. The dream may never ever be the same, but came true. Still here with you, and that'll do. I know the road of mine is not an easy way. Remember that I will define the path I take. The dream, yeah, I'm a dreamer. What can I say? Came true. Still here with you, and that'll do. I feel it's in my fingers. I know it's in my soul now. Don't need, I don't need a miracle. Just want to get a bit better. I feel it's in my fingers. I know it's in my soul now. Don't need, I don't need a miracle. Just want to get a little better. Oh, oh. I'm not asking for a Oh, baby. 